Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Wendy is with us in studio today. As I mentioned, several different topics to talk about. We're going to start with an update on what is and isn't being recycled in South Africa, as opposed to what can or can't be recycled. There is a difference, and it really, really does matter, as Wendy is going to explain, uh, in terms of what ends up in landfill. Uh, We'll bring you a follow-up on last week's show around pricing discrepancies between the shelf and the till. We'll find out why it is still so difficult to get yourself off NetFlorist's mailing list despite the introduction of Poppy. And I hope we'll have time to squeeze in a very quick hot-off-the-press post office update, which is relevant to those who have friends and family in Australia. So I think we must jump straight to it. Just just a reminder that you are welcome to join the conversation on 021-446-0567 or by leaving a voice note on 0725671567. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, Pippa. Good to be here. So... We start with a reminder that just because something is technically recyclable, Mm. it doesn't mean it is actually being recycled. A lot of people don't realize that and they put their nicely rinsed packaging, which they think is recycling, into the recycling bin, not realizing it still might end up in the landfill. Yeah, I realized that most recently when I had a friend um, from Durban staying with me for about a week. She's a keen waste separator. Um, but many times she'd throw something plastic into my recycling bin only to have me fish it out and transfer it to the landfill bin, as I call it, right next door to it. So, yeah, it drove home the fact for me that a lot of well-meaning people assume that just about all forms of plastic are recyclable and that they should be putting them in with their um, recyclables to go into that uh, stream. Um, and while it may technically be true, and, and often the label will actually advise people to recycle that particular pack, recycle, being recyclable technically is not the same, as we keep saying, as currently being recycled in South Africa or more to the point in your region. Yeah. Uh, because there's all sorts of environmental implications of shipping stuff somewhere else and also the cost. I mean, it's it's prohibitive. So um, I, I thought that... Um, it would be a good time to remind people about the, what the differences and inform people that, that don't know. Um, because I've seen this with my own eyes in recycling plants, and I'm sure it happens countrywide, that um, a lot of time and energy uh, is is devoted to then taking out stuff with, which well, well-meaning people thought would be recycled, but which actually isn't going to be recycled, and then putting that in a skip or a bin or whatever that now must go off, be transported off to, to, to landfill. So actually you're adding to the you're carbon adding, footprint of that, proce- adding, that product by so putting it sad. in the recycling bin. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, we have a guest with us to help us understand in a little bit more depth how these things work. And Wendy, thank you so much for setting up for us to talk to Chandru Wadwani, who is the Joint Managing Director of Extrupet. They are one of the largest and most advanced recyclers of PET bottles and jars, not just in South Africa, but in Africa. Uh, Chandru, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you very much. Um, I don't think people will ever appreciate this one uh, woman army that Wendy Nola is <laughs> and the work she does for consumerism. So when she calls, you make yourself available. Oh, and you, I'm, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for that. Well, I tell you, we, we certainly appreciate it, Chandri, but it's always good to hear that endorsed by somebody else as well. Okay, let's start with, with, with some basics. PET is not the only form of plastic which is currently being recycled in South Africa, but it is significant. Can you tell us why? It's significant centers around the fact that it's all, the only plastic polymer packaging that's recycled back to a food-grade 
packaging. So a lot of the other plastics, which equally are very well recycled, won't go back to a food-grade product. So that's what makes PET very unique at the moment. And would you say it's most in demand, I mean, in terms of from a, from a, um, a waste picker or reclaimer, I prefer the, the term reclaimer, from their perspective, is there more value in them um, finding PET over other forms of plastic, Chandra? At the moment, yeah. Um, and because of global supply chain disruptions, PET is at an all-time high. Uh, so waste pickers today, thankfully, are earning far more uh, on PET than they ever have. And it's probably the highest value plastic you can recover at the moment. Okay. So, but there are many forms of packaging which have that number one meaning PET on it, um, which actually aren't or cannot be recycled, won't. And I think that's really what I want to reiterate. Or want to, Well, I've said it before, but I, I have not for a while. I want our listeners to know which items they currently shouldn't be putting into in with their um, say, water bottles, because um, it's just going to end up in landfill? So, sadly, by failures of design in the packaging, uh, because they don't necessarily talk to end-use markets that are available, uh, some of the troublesome colors uh, probably aren't being recycled at the moment. So those would be your opaque bottles for products like buttered milk, uh, which are troublesome. Any bottle which has a print directly on it. So sometimes at the golf clubs, we like to brand their own bottle of water. Rather than using a recycling-friendly label, they will have printed uh, on the bottle. So those are the kind of telltale signs to look out for. And the other one, which I'm sure we'll talk about, are pet peeve is shrink sleeve labels <laughs> on products like uh, Lucasate. That's uh, incredibly problematic. While we're talking about that, let's go there. Chandri, those shrink sleeve labels, is, uh, is that because nobody takes the time or is it's not possible to take those labels off and get the, the bottle underneath into the recycling um, uh, circuit? What's, what's the, the problem there? So absolutely, those, bottles have, those labels have to be manually removed from the bottle, which is very difficult in an automated process. And one of the reasons we're automated is at the main plant, we're now processing in excess of 4 million bottles a day. Wow. Plus, the sad reality is, as the medium currently used to make those labels, there's no end-use market. So even when we take it off, the sad tragedy is every single one of those labels is destined for the landfills and, sadly, the ocean. Sure. So there's a big push now through the SA Plastics Pact to encourage brand owners and label producers to look at alternatives uh, for those uh, mediums right now. And is there, what is the stick there? What happens if they don't? Is there a stick? Well, yeah, um, November the 5th, the Section 18 notices, uh, which were released on three uh, industries, but in our case, paper and packaging is the most pertinent, uh, now calls on the converter who made the packaging, as well as the brand owner whose name is on it, to take responsibility for their products at end of life. And much overdue, it's very much a copy and paste of what's happening in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, if your package is designed to fail, you're running the risk of financial penalties, possible jail time, as it's written into the legislation, and at worst, possibly, is not the ability to sell your product in the market. So all of a sudden, there's a frenzy of activity uh, to realign packaging. Uh, to make sure it's compliant to the legislation.
And we're coming in from the other angle on that is to make consumers aware so that they can make informed choices. So you mm. could say, I'm not buying that with the, fr- the shrink sleeve or the, the bottle with the printing right on it or whatever because yeah. I'm not going to be part of the problem. And that, that you know, from the other end, if you if you um, um, throttle consumer demand, it's got to have an impact on the manufacturer. So it's very interesting you say that. Um, it's, it's a global challenge that for consumers, how do you permeate the information down to them? Because it's really confusing. There's so much to what yes. constitutes recyclable and not, not just for packaging. Imagine all our electronic goods, our cell mm-hmm. phones, our laptops, uh, our lighting stuff, legislation's out on that. But bless the French, a month ago, they passed legislation that in a year's time, is going to force consumer packaged goods, including fashion items, to have eco-labeling. Oh. And on that eco-label will be a metric that all of them have to adhere to on measurements, so it's a level playing field, to inform the consumer about the data behind the sustainability and recyclability of a product. So the world is now moving, realizing we don't have the time to educate every single consumer because the reality is the waste pile is getting bigger. Yeah. And that Too on the back fast. of global populations mm-hmm. which are growing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just for those who, who might uh, have joined us late to the conversation, our guest on the line is Chandru Wadwani, who is the Joint Managing Director of Pet. They are one of the biggest uh, recyclers of PET plastic in Africa. Talking to us about this this quandary that items that look like they should be recyclable or might even say they are recyclable aren't necessarily being recycled in the particular region you're in. Uh, Chandru, what about the, the, the plastic pallets that a lot of fruit and vegetables come in? Um, that's also PET, isn't it? But I seem to recall that there's a problem with some of them, isn't there? Well, not really. We, we already, close to three years ago, did a pilot to prove that uh, they were recyclable. But sadly, it's almost like waiting for the second coming because <laughs> what we've been anticipating is the industry to be far more proactive. What we're seeing now is on the back of Section 18 and the dealer deadline date of November 5th, the engagement level has gone up. So the hope is that a well-designed punnet uh, will start to be collected. Uh, So, you know, hopefully there'll be some breaking news soon enough. But from our perspective, too long in the making. We should have been doing this already years ago. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think I first heard about it 2019 or even earlier. And that, I must say, was what it's those, they're called thermoforms. And correct me if I'm wrong, um, Chandra, the problem with them is that, yes, they are PET, but in order for them to travel um, on trucks um, nestled in each other, obviously that to take up less space, there's an additive which makes it easy for them to be denested and then filled on site. And it's that additive which messes with your with your recycling process, to use the technical term, <laughs> Chandru. Um, so you obviously there's some way around that now where they, they, it can still be put back into the, it can be recycled without um, causing any problems in your plant and those of, of others. Of, it's certainly one of, yeah, certainly one of the main challenges which limits the end use markets you can go into. And again, it's a global challenge. It's not unique to us in South Africa. But the fact that we three years ago already demonstrated we could put it into a fiber, which would go into applications like automotive and carpets and mattresses, at least gave us a chance which many other parts of the world didn't have. Because the premise of any recycling, including human body parts, 
is collect and do what? If you don't have an end-use market, all that effort that goes into collection still renders the product destined for landfill. The other challenge with punnets as well is the incredible lightweight. Mm. So we must be cognizant of the fact that collections waste recovery need so is very much. much a manual is a manual mm. activity. It's an economic activity. So when you look at traditionally, why do products like polystyrene and plastic bags always end up being banned in some territories? It's not because they're not recyclable. It's just that they're too light to make it worth anyone's while to collect. So while addressing the challenge of that silicon layer that allows for those punnets to nestle well, uh, we've also got to have an informed dialogue with the industry to actually add possibly some weight to these products, which is a tricky thing. The it tragedy in the meantime is they've moved. Yeah, so they've moved now in the meantime slightly away from PET punnets to another polymer without any evidence that any of those are being recycled equally. So this is where it gets very confusing for consumers. Yeah. I asked um, on Twitter, I put this question out. A lot of people said, I said, do you put them to recycling or, or landfill? And a lot of people said, no, reuse. I keep them for my nuts and bolts in the garage. Someone said, I, I save them and give them and I give leftovers to people who've come to my home. I give it to them. And so there's, you know, re, reuse is another part of the, the, of the, of the another of arm. Of another whole arm of this and conversation. And what happens at the end yeah. of that, you know, should ideally be recycled. But I thought that was very interesting. Shandri, I've got a question, a very important question in from a, a listener, and I'm not sure if it's one you'll be able to answer, but I'm going to give it to you in case you can. Um, could you please discuss, asks Caroline, how so-called biodegradable or compostables oh. end up at the recycling depots and how they process there? Do they mess with the process or do they end up in anaerobic landfill? She says, the real issue for me, unless they're being composted at home, people think they're doing the right thing, buying a so-called compostable or biodegradable product, but it's putting it into an environment in which it will never biodegrade. Any comments, Excellent Andrew? question. How long do we have? Yeah. <laughs> Two minutes. Two minutes. <laughs> One of the tragedies of our time um, that, you know, plastic is a very, it's almost like a trigger. Just say the word and the emotions run deep. The tragedy, though, is people have forgotten why plastics evolved to what it is. It's probably got the lowest carbon footprint of any packaging medium you can think of. But because the headlines, for example, there'll be more plastics in the ocean than fish, by 2050, which funny enough was debunked last year, evokes such negative feedback. It's opened the door for the snake potion sellers, one of which is the biodegradable and compostable community. Now, what they don't tell you is under what conditions does it biodegrade. Many a time it needs an industrial facility because conventional landfills don't have the moisture or heat content. And then the real kicker Sometimes people forget sustainability also has to be affordability. And when you look at the price of these biodegradable alternatives, it's just downright shocking. So there's a big push. It's been included in the Section 18 gazetted notices that even they will be held accountable for their products. Mm -hmm. And remember, if something biodegrades, it's still going to break up at some point into small pieces. And the worst element here is you're still not getting to the root of the problem, which is human behavior. If people think that because it's biodegradable, I can just throw it away, mm -hmm. how do you change that culture where yes. people look at their own behavior? That's the cause of the problem. So plastics don't end up in the ocean because they all have a pair of feet and flippers. Somebody threw it away irresponsibly. And that's the conversation going on globally. These are behavioral issues. 
What a phenomenal note on which to say thank you so much for joining us. Chandru Wadwani, I'm going to recall and keep that quote to replay again. It's such it's an important phenomenal. comment. Chandru, thanks for being with us. Joint MD at Extrupet. And Wendy, thank you for a very important conversation once again. Thank you. Eloquent as always, Chandru. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, just before we leave the recycling topic, quite a number of interesting comments and questions coming through. Uh, a WhatsApp and then some voice notes. The WhatsApp is from Sheila in Boston, Wendy. And uh, she says, I'm an ardent recycler, including house batteries and light bulbs etc it seems only Woolworths have a bin for these but they're always filled with rubbish and please advise where one can take e-waste as well she says I've tried to find the information on their website but I don't find it very consumer friendly um, yeah uh, I'm going to have to do some research and come back on that one on the e-waste one okay. yeah um, and it's a good question to pose to some of the other retailers as well because I remember certainly pick and pay at their larger stores um, used to have um Big cardboard there boxes in which you could tools, yeah, yes. deposit your light bulbs, etc. And I don't know what's um, become of those. So I, I think that's some good feedback for. Yeah, Next it's week. been, I'm just trying to think, I used to collect batteries until I had a huge bag full and then I would take them and dump them there, but I haven't done that in about, well, since pre-COVID, so and I don't know. e-waste, there was a, a company in Durban where I'm from that would yeah. come and take any any bits and bobs that you have and would audit it and, and the whole thing and give you a report back and they were extremely um, proactive and um, I haven't had need for such a service since I've moved here so they may well, um, what I'll do is I'll get hold of them and say what's happening in the Western Cape Okay, that would be great. Share, yeah. I do recall there was an e-waste drop-off facility in Claremont opposite um, the motor dealerships and Claremont Home Appliances in that sort of wedge um, I don't know if it's still there. Uh, you used to be able to okay. take old computer keyboards and things like that there. Um, uh, I'm not sure if it's still operating though. But okay, Sheila, great question and, and some, we'll something to be researched Thank you, and Sheila. give you feedback on. A couple of voice notes as well. Hi, Pippa. At one point, the city was investigating a power plant being uh, installed that can use plastic as a um, fuel. How far does the city come with that such implementation? Because that would be a major solver for plastics that can't be recycled. Justin Weinberg. Hi, uh, Tremaine here. I was wondering if, if I've been to Denmark and they've got these little uh, punt uh, labels on all their plastic bottles and that which shows what um, value you're going to get from the recycling and at literally all the little small shops and stuff they've got these uh, machines where you can return the plastic bottles and all of that to enable easier recycling and I think that's something that we need to consider in South Africa because I think um, recycling for some people makes it difficult and you would also then potentially have some work opportunities for homeless people. Hi Pippa, um, Mark here from Hawksmoor Wines, hope you're well. Um, just a question on the recycling. Uh, when I go to a supermarket or a bottle store or whatever, um, I don't like. I often forget my plastic bags, which is bad. Um, but then there's usually so many boxes around the store, and you can't find them. And then you find out that they are all crushed. They're dis dis by labour 
staff time is used to crush them uh, into flat pack and then I think they go to be made into other boxes to be recycled which is great but why don't supermarkets just give us the boxes so we can take our groceries home in them and then use them at home for goodness knows what but um, uh, and bring them back and keep using them uh, it seems a waste of energy to to actually mush them all up and make them back into new boxes just a thought bye-bye Fruit and veg used to do that when they started out. Remember, in the very yes. early days, you couldn't get plastic That's bags true. at Fruit and Veg City. You could only take a box. Some smaller places. There's one I go to, R44, that um, gives you the um, those sort of flattish boxes. Yes. But can you imagine having each to stock all of that? At each till yeah. point, I mean, it's just not. It's a space constraint uh-uh. issue. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, as someone that's now fully embraced online shopping, um, not totally, but um, probably 60%, you know, these boxes accumulate. I flat pack them and I put them out with, in the, with the recycling. But but it is a concern to me is, you know, are, those, are all those boxes being reused or recycled? Reused or recycled? What, you know, this massive, I mean, you can imagine how much the, the board manufacturers must have benefited out of this sudden Surge in online deliveries. Unexpected surge. Anyway, that's another topic. But yeah, I think, Mark, um, nice train of thought, but I think um, a little bit impractical given the bulk of those boxes at each till point. um, I just can't. Where would they practically store them? them Fit them. Yeah. Patton Bergfried, thanks so much. What's happening to say that the pick and pay in Plumstead still has a bin for used batteries. So it may well be okay. that they're still there. But we'll thank Make you, Pat. Note. We thank will investigate and, and try and give some feedback back on the the e-waste question uh, in, in a subsequent show. Okay, short break. And then we are back with a follow-up on last week's uh, comments around pricing discrepancy and a few other bits and pieces as well. Uh, keep your WhatsApps coming to 0725671567. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. Call now on 021-446-0567. Right. Now, Wendy, last week we were chatting about how different retailers handle the issue of pricing discrepancies between what's advertised on the shelf and what rings up at the till and how some of them compensate for errors and others don't. You want to add something to that conversation? Well, as we discussed at the time, I said we, we had a lot of calls, if you remember, from listeners saying, well, it often happens to me at ShopRite or Checkers or Builders Warehouse, mm. and then clicks came up a few times. The three, uh, three for the price of two specials when you get yes. to the till, and you have to call someone over, etc. So I thought I've done it before, but quite a few years ago, I'd go to the, the others. So it's, it's Pick and Pay and Woolworths are the only two that offer some kind of compensation if if they are caught out. If, yeah, if yeah. they get if the overcharging is noticed by the by the customer. So I uh, I promised to reach out to Builders Warehouse, which is part of the MassMart Group, um, clicks as well as the Shoprite Group, to say, um, are you considering? Essentially, are you could would you consider um, introducing a similar compensation policy? Um, and uh, well, um, Shoprite Group, I'm going to try and paraphrase. Um, in short, none of the none of them are. Okay. They they say you know these Shoprite says that the price discrepancies can occur either through human error, uh, when an incorrect price is reflected in an advert, and but we were talking specifically about shelf markers. But yeah. be that as it may. Um, or discipline issues where labels and price tickets are not updated on the shelf immediately when a price change takes effect on the system. And I think that's the main problem okay. um, across all the brands. Um, 
ShopRite says we're continuously working to improve our systems and processes and enforcing disciplines across the merchandising system and in-store. Of course, Pick and Pay and, and Woolworth say it was introduced to incentivize the stores not to get it not wrong to make because the now they've yeah. got to account for it out of the till. Um, with thousands of deals being loaded weekly and monthly for thousands of stores across the country, uh, which triggers a PR label to be printed in-store as soon as the price changes, there are, unfortunately, as with any large business, human errors. But... Basically, we pride ourselves on good customer service and remain committing, committed to um, getting it right, basically. And we invite customers to engage store management immediately when pricing anomalies are spotted so that urgent actions can be taken to rectify possible oversight. Well, okay, so no compensation on, on the horizon there. Clicks, no, it says clicks, we don't offer compensation, but we will honor the lower price should a product scan at a different price to what is advertised. Of course, they must. That's the legal position. Um Clicks has a team dedicated to pricing and promotions to ensure that pricing is updated to all stores accurately and remotely via head office. And they're monitored on an ongoing basis because one of my questions was, are you monitoring this? The, the yeah. degree of wrong price. I have to say it's only a sample of one, but in the interest of research, I went to <laughs> Clicks, my nearest Clicks, on uh, Monday. And... Um, uh, it was a three for two thing, and uh, it did scan the discount, which was fifty rand. Um, did uh, reflect on my till slip. So, okay. a sample of you know. one, but it it somebody okay. had made the comment that she almost felt it was routine. It, it clicks that you know they waited for you to they didn't point it out. Yeah, they didn't honor it. The, the tills weren't um, programmed to to deal with the three two, for two and. Um, Okay, well, that, that little research that seems to suggest that was an overstatement. Exa- yeah. exa- sample of one, but yes, it does disprove that conspiracy theory. Builders Warehouse, as I say, part of MassMart, um, they say um, we do honor the price that's marked when it reaches the till, if it's incorrectly priced. There are exceptional instances where it might not happen, um, and that's the case where the incorrect um, product we spoke about this last week Someone has put it back in the wrong place. Someone's put it back yeah. in the wrong place. And of course, the compensation policies offered by Pick and Pay and Woolworths do um, exclude those situations because obviously it's not a pricing mistake. Um, so, and yeah, and Builders then went on to say um, we are likely to push back if that's the case. Um, but they concede that in cases in which products are incorrectly priced on the shelf, they will honour the price that is yes, marked but, on the shelf. But I think it's it's uh, fair to say that um, those none of those major retailers are likely to introduce any form of compensation in the policy. So it is um, worth noting, although sometimes it's not um, applied when it should be and the, the customer has to push for it, the compensation policies are, are quite exceptional. And they should be commended for at least having something in place that... Um, Which is more than others offer. And it standard, gives many yeah. people, certainly in the case of Woolworths, free products every day of the week because <laughs> they've noticed that it's wrong. So I think we should commend those. Okay, so well, yeah, go the extra mile. It's a, yeah. it a voluntary policy. Yeah. Okay. Now, on to Net Florist. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm, I'm coughing and laughing because this is actually a topic that Wendy helped me with Two years ago. Was it um, two years? It was nearly two years ago, Wendy. I went back. When I started seeing the tweets start again, I went back to my mailbox. 
And we didn't talk about it on air at the time, but basically um, about, yeah, it was close to two years ago. I asked Wendy if she could intercede with NetFlorist because my husband kept on getting marketing emails from them. He had unsubscribed. I had unsubscribed on his behalf. We had sent emails. We had sent emails to their marketing people. I had tweeted them. We had sent them the wording of the relevant legislation pointing out that their continual sending of unsolicited marketing when you'd been told we don't want it was actually counted to the law. CPA Nothing the would work. Yeah. Yeah. I now, sent them clauses from the CPA and Wendy eventually interceded at head office level and thankfully put a stop to it. Um they lost two customers in the process forever, I will say that. But Wendy so I, I was the response we got at that time was not particularly um I thought um I'm trying to find a polite way to say this. I found it very disappointing, shall we say. <laughs> so I was not particularly surprised to see this issue being well, raised on social media yes, again. So you would have noticed it as well. A lot of people um, being very vocal on Twitter, that's where I saw it, about repeatedly unsubscribing to NetFlorist's emails only to have them continue to land in their inbox. Several said that it's easier to get divorced <laughs> than it is to get NetFlorist to take them off their mailing lists. And then the one that really got my attention, Pippa, was Sally Partridge tweeted, Incredibly, Nat Florist is still sending me mail reminders for a friend's birthday who's no longer around. I've been trying to unsubscribe for a year. Can you imagine how upsetting that must be? Um, Responding... Uh, on Twitter, Netflix said those emails were for special occasion reminders, which she had personally added. But if you no longer need reminding, she was told, one of our call center agents will gladly assist in manually unsubscribing you. And someone else said that she was told that by a call center agent that you've really got to phone in um, in order to to get off their list. And I mean, that is just ridiculous. ridiculous. So yeah. that's really what made me email Netflix MB. MD rather, Ryan Basher. Um, and I said, you know, the NetFlorist procedure for unsubscribing from its marketing emails is overly complicated and onerous. And I said to him, I want you to please give me specific instructions on how somebody who never wants to receive another NetFlorist email or any other form of marketing communication from the company ever again should proceed. Well, that was quite specific. Well, okay, so I'm going to interject here. I know what they told me when I asked that question two years ago, and the answer was that the first time you click that box with your very first order, you are actually signing up to 10 different emails, emailers, and you have to subscribe from each one of them individually. There is no such thing as an unsubscribe from all this. Okay, well, that's interesting. That was nearly two years ago, and I found that response completely pathetic, to be honest, inadequate. Has it changed at all? Nope. Well... So I'm going to read from Ryan's response, MD of NetFlorist. Yep, our email unsubscribe process isn't great, he says. It's a result of using two systems to send mail. You can unsubscribe from each of our mailing lists, but we have quite a few different ones. Reminder emails for previous occasions, abandoned basket mailers, promotional mailers, etc. This is not convenient, though, for customers. So we are building an interface where you can do all at once or individually and you don't have to call and unsubscribe, he said. But certainly I understand the frustration that there isn't a place at the moment where they can manage all subscriptions in one go. We are consolidating all our emails and building a system on our site under profiles where customers can manage all their subscriptions in one place. This should be live by the end of October, uh, September, rather, he said. So that's about six weeks from now. Hmm. It is quite a big project. And, and surely that big, your, your point, Pippa, 
very valid is that you know this was flagged by you and I'm sure by others long before two years ago yeah it shouldn't have taken this long and of course now we have poppy so we have the CPA and we have the Protection of Personal Information Act, which takes things further. Um, and one of the things it does is um, we now have an information regulator. Okay. So if, um, not just in this instance, but any others where you are being spammed and you've when you've said very clearly that you do not want to be, there is an, um, hopefully we can put it up on the blog, there is an email address um, that is part of the falls under the Department of Justice. Shall, do you want to read it out? Before? Yeah, sure. So it's it's Poppy, um, po- okay, so we're talking about Poppy Act, Poppy when I say the Protection of Personal Information Act, the email is popia, P-O-P-I-A, complaints.ir, which stands for Information Regulator. So it's quite a complex one. Popia complaints.ir at justice.gov.za. And I'll also, again, I'll keep that on file because if anybody's listening in the car, obviously you're not going to be able to remember all of that. And I'll tweet um, it a bit later And we can well. put it on the, on the site yeah. as well. Poppyacomplaints.ir at justice.gov.za. And interesting, to be fair, okay, NetFlorist are among the worst and receive a lot of critique for it, but they're not alone. Definitely While we've not. been talking, no, really. uh, WhatsApp in saying, I've got the same problem with Woolworths. I never signed up for anything. I don't have a Woolworths card or or any kind of account, yet I constantly receive Woolworths promo messages on my phone and cannot make it stop. Andy is flagging Standard Bank as a guilty party, seeing they're saying they seem to have suddenly embarked on an aggressive marketing campaign, mailing sometimes daily from the information at standardbank.coza address. Because I am a Standard Bank customer and it's addressed directly to me, um, I take a look, but she says, I didn't ask to be added to this list. And at the bottom of the mail, there is the customary, if you wish to unsubscribe, please send an email to this address. But it has no effect. And I'm wondering if others are experiencing this. I will take that up. It is a tricky one because you you don't want to opt out um, because you're a customer. You're a customer and there's a lot of bank fraud going on and you want to get those alerts. Um, you certainly don't want to be left out of that loop. But um, if they're now using that for pure marketing, um, that's potentially problematic. But, you you, you know, you, I, you, I would not suggest opting out from you your can't. banks. You need to be, no. remain on your bank's so list. Yeah. That, that, is a, that is a problematic one. If you have an existing relationship, you need to be hearing from the companies, particularly your bank. Mm. Okay, so uh, look, um, Andy, I'm forwarding your email to Wendy as we speak so that she can look into that one for you. Uh, But yeah, I'd be interested to hear how other listeners feel about this. Have you been able to deal with the issue of unwanted emails? I mean, we addressed it with regard to estate agent marketing a couple of months ago, Wendy. Uh, Certainly, NetFlorist are not the only ones, but they happen to be particularly bad and generate a lot of very uh, frustrated customers. I think particularly, Wendy, this issue that was flagged by one of the people tweeting that a reminder coming up for somebody's birthday who is no longer alive is so horribly insensitive Um, that sort of thing should should not be happening thinking on my feature Pippa I think what what I'm going to do is try and get someone from the information regulator to join us and ask them all sorts of questions about the kinds of complaints they're getting what they do about them how the companies respond it's early days but I think um it would be quite illuminating. So I will work on that. I think that's a great idea. Thank you very much. To be continued then sure. at a later date. Okay. And I think we have time, gratefully, to squeeze in an update from the post office. Who do you think? We got some communication out of the post office uh, this morning, no. Wendy. I thought this might um, be relevant to many of our listeners. I thought, let's squeeze it in because I got this press release just this morning as I was prepping for today's segment. Um, so if you need to get something to friends or family in Australia, we've just heard that 
you have one more chance to do so before that country closes its borders to incoming parcels again. So Australian airline Qantas has laid on a second repatriation flight from South Africa to Australia for postal items, that is. So earlier this month, 1,387 kilograms of mail was sent to that country on the first repatriation flight. Um, and there was no talk of a second one. But now there is, as of today. So to take advantage of the second flight to South Africa, for post, to Australia rather, from South Africa, um, you must hand your items in at your local post office by no later than the 7th of September. So you've got a few weeks. Okay. 7th of September is the cutoff date. Here's what you can't put in those parcels. And we, all of us who watch this, what's that Border Patrol? You know, <laughs> that's Australian. Okay. You know, that's for stuff you bring in. You can imagine the same um, uh, checks are done at uh, with postal items. So don't pack liquids, animal or plant products, any medication, drugs, or aerosols which could explode in, un- in an unpressurized aircraft. Um, so all parcels are X-rayed to check for contents, and they just won't make it onto the plane if they're um, if they're not compliant. Um, and when after that, they didn't say the date that the that the the second flight is going to depart, but I would imagine it would be um, sometime next month. Once that flight is gone, Australia will be closed once more to postal imports and exports for until further notice. Okay. So it is a good opportunity um, for those that want to get stuff to to their people in Australia. Seventh September 7th is the September. deadline. Just take okay. it to your post office and make sure you don't put any of those. Um, things that you're not supposed to in there. Liquids is a common one. People sending, you know, like um, um, like aloe vera, cosmetics and things okay. like that. They will just be whipped out. Okay. And yeah, yeah that could be a quite costly product if you're sending could some be. lovely Environ packages uh, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So so stick to the rules. And, um, and it's complicated. Plant products, you can't send lovely loose leaf uh, rooibos or honeybush. You can't send biltong apparently. Yeah, I so that, no that's... Products either. But, you know, if it's a gift for somebody or then something like that just um, just bear that all in mind in okay mind, yeah. thank you all right wendy we've literally got three minutes left so i'm going to ask you a very very quick um open line question that i think can be resolved um because you've answered this for oh, us gosh. before put me I on I the can. spot why don't you No. okay so guy <laughs> mailed us and, I, and i'm sure we've spoken about this before the question is is it legal for a retail business to refuse to accept cash as a form of oh. payment he was at a, a store in durbanville and they would not let him pay for his purchases in cash and he was it's wondering probably a misguided I did think about, you know, it's, it's a surface and COVID and all of that, whereas you've got a one in 10 or 10,000 no 10, chance of getting the virus from a surface. We're getting it from person to person aerosol transmission. But be that as it may, um, I have taken this up last year when the problem really surfaced, yeah. um, early days of COVID. And uh, the answer I got from my contact at the Reserve Bank was quite complicated, but the answer is simply um Yes, they can refuse to accept cash. I thought they the can. answer was going to be no, but okay. yes, they can. So they are within their rights. Okay, in in this case, a guy said, I didn't have my Proceed bank card with me. I walked away and spent my cash in a different shop, Yeah, which is, of course, his right to do. But, it um, is, but there's, there's, I can't take up, um, well, I could, but the answer would be there's, there's no recourse. Okay, so there you have it from the so, Reserve Bank itself, Guy, that it actually the shop was within uh, its rights to say that. I would add, though, that they should make that very clear in terms of signage that a customer couldn't miss to avoid them wasting time and being embarrassed at the till and all of yeah. that. So that should be, they should in really, large letters, disclosure as walk needs in the to door. be huge. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you for that.
Okay, we're going to wrap up there. Wendy, as always, thank you so much for all the work you do on behalf of our thank listeners. You. Let's remind everybody how to get in touch with you if they have got a case to, to bring your way. The best way is by email. Yes, it is. If I can just have my little disclaimer that um, I get a deluge that I can't possibly ever be on top of. So if I've not responded, it's not because I'm deliberately ignoring you. It's probably the case that I just honestly haven't even seen that email and opened it. It's a horrible thing for me to say, and it pains me to do so. But that but is the are, reality of You may be our one-woman consumer army, but you are a one-woman army. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had some soldiers. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the reality. So please, please understand that, and, and my apologies in advance if I don't respond but my email address is consumer at NOLA which is spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-R dot C-O dot Z-A consumer at nola.co.za she knows a lot about consumer affairs and please we'll ask you to put all of the details in one single email and do put a word or two in the subject line to indicate that it's a Cape Talk question and what it's about so Cape Talk net florist subscription or Cape Talk shop pricing, something like that. And please keep that um, um, in any further correspondence with Wendy, keep that subject line the same just to help keep track of things. It really is an immense help if you put all the information into just a single email. Wendy, we'll chat again next week, Wednesday. Thank you so much.